good job. Yep, 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 yep. Hey, I'll tell you what, why don't you do this real quick? Oh, is that loud? That's loud. Okay, bring me down, Jack. Um, my voice is not that high normally. Um, so why don't you do this? Why don't you find uh, two people close to you and tell them two things? Tell them something you're grateful for this week. Uh, now, some of you, you're going to have to think for a minute. Uh, tell them something you're grateful for, and then tell them something that just makes you happy, okay? Something you're grateful for, something that makes you happy. You've got like two minutes. Get moving. Meet people. Okay, let me gather us back. Are we there? Okay. We're gathering. We're gathering back. Yeah. I know that doesn't make you happy, so you can talk about that next week. Things that did not make me happy that uh, we had to gather back too quickly. So uh, we'll do that. We started a series last week on the kingdom and living in the kingdom of God and doing that. And so we're going to uh, continue that series for the next several weeks. We're going to be looking at different aspects of it. Um, you know, it, it's real easy when we think of a kingdom to think of like um, a place like, you know, England, the kingdom over there, you know, or something like that. It's real easy for us to look at a Philola. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> the mother country. Um, so, um, you know, it's real easy for us to think of a place. It's really easy for us to think of a people like these people make up the kingdom. But really... That is not the kingdom at all. The kingdom is really God's reign, God's rule. It is really his reign. It is whenever and whatever he wants done is done. So when that is done, then that is God's rule. That is God's reign. That is the kingdom. And so I really want us, if you get nothing else and you get that locked and loaded in your mind, where when you think of the kingdom, you think that is God's rule and reign in someone's life. That's what that is. If you will get that locked in, that will be a really good starting point for you because it, it'll, everything else we're going to talk about 
over the weeks is going to be based upon our really understanding that. It's going to be based upon our understanding that the kingdom is there. Now, let me clarify something I said last week because I realized that sometimes words come out of my mouth and I'm like, ah, what did those say? What did those say? But uh, I used an illustration last week, which was a bad illustration. I'll just go ahead and say that was a bad illustration. Um, it was an illustration most of you are saying, which one? Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so it's, I'm talking about the one where I mentioned that, you know, like when we're talking about living under God's kingdom, that part of that you might go around, you might notice that like someone serving. Okay, that's a good snapshot of something that God would like to see us do, but that's not necessarily a good snapshot of the kingdom because for all we know, it may have been a person that was serving that had absolutely no thought about God at all and never thought about that. So they weren't actually choosing to live in line with what God wanted. They just happened to be, you know, even like a blind squirrel can find a nut every once in a while, you know. So they weren't thinking about that. They were just happened to do that. So that bad illustration, but I wanted you to understand that is a picture of like activity God likes, but it's not necessarily a picture of what the kingdom was like. So we're going to look at that. Secondly, Jesus's consistent message over and over and over was the availability of the kingdom of God. He wanted us to get that. And the reason I'm rehearsing some of these things to you this week is because I know that so often we think in a way about the kingdom that really doesn't line up with anything that Jesus talked about in scripture. And so it's really good to go back and look at what he said and begin to think through that. Now, when he's talking about the kingdom there, again, he's talking about God's rule, God's reign in people's lives. So two very, very important things that, that you want to kind of, two very important verses you want to kind of remember and get your mind wrapped around. The first one is in Mark ten fifteen. Jesus said, we must receive the kingdom of God as little children. He said, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be in the kingdom, if you want to get in the kingdom, you've got to receive it like little children. Now, you look at that, what, what are you receiving? I mean, when he says, you know, you need to receive the kingdom of God, are you receiving like church? Are you receiving like, you know, uh, um, heaven? That's what a lot of people think. No. What you're receiving, when you choose to receive the kingdom, like he's talking about, you're receiving God's rule, his reign in your life. Later on, Jesus said things like, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what, what is he talking about there? He's talking there again about the same thing. The object of that quest, is it church? Is it, no. Is it heaven? No. The object of the quest is God's rule and reign in our lives. And so the more we understand that, the better we're going to be. You know, like even in the gospel, the gospel is not about I accept heaven. I mean, that's kind of like, well, who wouldn't? I mean, you know, you kind of look at the options. You're kind of like, hmm, heaven, hell, hmm. That's kind of a no-brainer there. You know, when you accept the gospel, you're not accepting heaven. What you're accepting is God's rule and reign in your life. And for a lot of people, the reason they don't do well in the journey along the way in, in getting to know God and learning to walk with him is they never started off right in the first place. They thought, oh, I thought I was just accepting heaven. I didn't realize there was something else. Oh, yeah, you're accepting God's rule in your life. That's what the kingdom is all about. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he wants us to understand. We're accepting him being the boss of our lives. So that's very foundational, but I want us to make sure that we cover those before we get started. So tonight, what we're going to look at is like the heart of a kingdom citizen. What does that look like? And kind of, you know, what? how do we get our hands wrapped around that? 
We're going to be looking at a passage in Matthew 5, verse 1 through 12, which is often referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, that's, an, that's always an interesting term. I always thought, Beatitudes, where does it? I mean, no one uses that term. Where does that term come from? It actually came from a guy that lived, you know, back a uh, long time ago uh, named Cicero. And Cicero was the one, he coined the term Beatitudes. It just means a state of blessedness. It means, you know, a state in which you are blessed. And so that's what the whole term is about. Sometimes people look at the Beatitudes as kind of like this list of attitudes that you need to be seeking to get in your life so that you can be more like what God wants you to be. That's, that's the wrong focus altogether. Rather, what we need to understand is the Beatitudes are not to be produced by the Christian, but they're to be produced in the Christian. They're not produced by, they're produced in. What they do is the Beatitudes tell you, this is what a life that is yielded to God, this is what it looks like. If you want to know what it's going to look like, it looks like this. This is kind of the complete picture. So really, I think if I could give you a, a word picture that I'd want you to have in your mind, it's this. What the Beatitudes are, are like markers in your life along the pathway of you entering into God's kingdom and into the realm where he reigns and mark, markers along the way that kind of show your progress as you're moving along. That's really what the Beatitudes are. They're kind of like markers along the way. Anybody ever have one of those things in your home where your parents measured, like, how tall you were? You know, yeah, yeah, several of you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Victor? It was a small wall. Well, yeah, it, was a, it wasn't a tall wall. Uh, you know, yeah, you have those things. I mean, you know, you have those things where if they measure you and, you know, you're like, they, here you are at three, you know, here you are at four, five, you know, you're not, you know, some of you a little bit higher, you know, I mean, you have different things like that. You're, you're going along. They, they measure you. That's what this is. This is kind of a yardstick by which you can measure God's work in your life as you submit to the Holy Spirit and walk with him. As you do, as you kind of go along, what you'll notice is these are not things you try to get into your life. These are things that as you live a life yielded to God, they begin to develop in your life. Their characteristics, their character qualities that begin to develop in your life as you live a life walking with Jesus. And so if you're looking at your life and you're looking at some of these and you're going, hmm, I don't really see a lot of those. Well, stay tuned. You know, if you will live a life of yieldedness, what you'll begin to find more and more of those will be showing up in your life. If they're not, you might want to check, hey, what path am I on? Am I on a path of where I'm just calling all the shots in my life and that's what I'm about? Or am I on a path where I really have a yielded heart to what God's wanting to do and I'm really walking with him? Am I really walking in his kingdom or am I walking just in my kingdom? What am I doing here? And so it's, it's a good thing for us to look at. Each of the different uh, beatitudes that he talks about here starts off with the word blessed. Now, that's a word, it just means happy for the most part. It was one that was actually, it's, it's not like happy, like we just think like, I'm happy. But it's really more of one of those things. It, it meant this deep contentment, this, this sense of delight that you have. That's what he's talking about. Really contented and delighted is, is really um, that. So let's look at the very first one here. He says, seeing the crowds, starting in verse 1, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed 
are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, a lot of times people look at this verse and they go, the poor in spirit, what does that mean, poor in spirit? You know, is that like they're broke? Or uh, does, you know, does that mean, what, what does that mean? Well, actually, if you look in Luke's gospel, where Luke records where Jesus did the same, basically the same talk at a different time, it really could, it could refer to financial reversal. It could refer to that easily. But really what he's talking about is whether it's somebody that's had financial troubles or whether it's somebody that's figured out how morally bankrupt they are, whatever it is, they've come to the point in their life where they've just come to the end of their rope and they realize, I need God in my life. I can't do it on my own. Now, what, what Jesus says, great, this is the starting point. He says, that's the first marker. Because there is when people realize their need, he says, the gospel is readily available. The kingdom is available to you. You can step in right there. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You get an opportunity to step right into God's rule in your life when you realize that. The second one, he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, why are they mourning? You know, what are they sad about? Well, you know, there again, you look at a lot of history, you look at a lot of commentators, you look at what the scriptures say. I mean, they could be mourning over sin in their own life. They could be mourning over injustice they see around them. But one of the things you see that's consistent is the more they get to walk with God, the more they walk in his kingdom, the more they are aware of his control, the more they're aware of his kindness, the more they're aware of his goodness, and so for them, as they begin to look at it, you know, they, they begin to look at it. And sin, sin really begins to look stupid. And injustice really begins to look wrong. And so they mourn over those things because, you know what, they're just wrong. Now, for some of you, if you're thinking, sin doesn't look that stupid to me. You haven't reached this marker yet. You know? As you begin to walk on, as you begin to allow God to call the shots in your life, what you begin to find out, there's some things you'll look at sin, you'll think, that just looks stupid. Why would anyone do that? And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I've reached another mark on the wall right there. Yeah, just kind of make a little progress right there. What, what does Jesus say about them? He says, they will be comforted. God will really comfort you. The third one he talks about, he says, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Now, this really caught Jesus' hearers by surprise. Because besides the disciples, there were like four groups that were with Jesus. There were like the Pharisees that were always around. Those were kind of uh, the religious conservatives of his day. You know, then there were the Sadducees. Those were like the religious liberals. They were the ones they didn't believe in the resurrection or anything. That's why they were sad, you see. But uh, then there was the, uh, I, I know it was really bad. Uh, then there was like uh, the Essenes, which were like this kind of uh, a group that uh, hung out out in the desert. They were kind of mystics. And then there were the Zealots, which they were the ones that were just like, hey, let's kill all the Romans right now. And make There we go. Thank you so much. Okay. So what you find is this. With these groups, 
what they all had in common was this. When they thought of the kingdom of God, they thought of an earthly kingdom. And what they thought was, oh, Jesus is going to establish this earthly kingdom. And they all thought in earthly ways. So they kept saying things to him. You see the disciples all the time, they're going, is this the time? Are you getting ready to establish the kingdom? And what they're thinking is, Jesus is going to come in and start knocking heads, taking names. That's what he's going to be about with the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the meek. Now, that's a word. It, it means the gentle, the humble. These are the people that, you know, they're not, they're not just worried about themselves. They're actually worried about others. These are people that have a very different mindset. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, his promise is they will inherit the earth. The very thing that so many people are worried about and they're wearing themselves out to try to gain, Jesus said, you know what, if you're in the kingdom, I'm going to give it to you anyway. You're like, really? Yeah. I don't have to wear myself out going after it? No. Planning on giving it to you? You're like, wow. I'm going to loan it to somebody else for a few years right now, but, you know, it will be yours. And so, you know, you don't have to run around and chase after those things as you live life in the kingdom as you live life walking with him, what you find is the earth's one of the things he's going to give you. It, it's, it's going to be yours. The, the next one, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What he's talking about there is, blessed are the people who are starving for something beyond this life. You know, just like your, your body needs food and water to survive, your soul needs righteousness. He said, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that. I don't know whether you guys, you know, on Sunday, they're going to have this event. Many of you were unaware of this because you don't care. But it's called the Super Bowl. And in this game, there's one team that shows up every year to play in it uh, from the east. And then there's the Rams. And so they're going to be playing in this game. But there was a really interesting um, thing. You can YouTube it sometime or something if you want. But... There was a really interesting interview with Tom Brady. He's one of the perennial guys that comes back. But uh, they're showing this thing, and it's interview. It was like after he'd won, like, his third Super Bowl. And, you know, I mean, this guy lives a, a really depressing life in the world's understanding. He's won multiple Super Bowls. He, he's got a world-famous uh, model for a wife. And, you know, uh, everything seems to go his way, and he doesn't seem to get old. And so, you know, everybody looks at him. Well, they're talking to Tom Brady one time, and they're interviewing him here, and this, this sports guy's interviewing him. He goes, wow, you've got these Super Bowl championships. That must be great. You know, what did you think, Tom? And Tom goes, well, really, I just kind of thought, is that all of it? Is that all there is? And this guy's like, no. I mean, because this guy's thinking, Surely the greatest thing in the world is when you won a Super Bowl, right? And you've won multiple Super Bowls. So surely you must be the happiest person in the world. And he goes, there's got to be something else done there. Doesn't there have to be more? And this guy's like, uh, you know, he has no, you know, for him, he was like, no, this is my job. You're supposed to love, you know, he's just kind of sitting there, you know. And then he goes, so Tom, what is going to do it for you then? And then you see both of them, and they both just look perplexed. And then Tom says, maybe the next one? No. You know what? I saw an interview with him a few weeks ago, 
They were talking to him about going back to the Super Bowl. You know, is this going to do it for you? He said, I doubt it. You know, and you're sitting there going, you're 40 years old. You better figure it out pretty quick. You know, I mean, the guy just, you know, why? That was never meant to satisfy us. In fact, nothing you're going to find here really was ever meant to satisfy you. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, this isn't something you pursue, but something that becomes a reality for you as you place yourself under God's rule and reign in your life. Have any of you ever had a friend that, um, you know, when, when things weren't right between you guys, things just didn't seem right in the world. Like, you know, like if you guys had had an argument all week long, you're walking around, you know, you're snapping at everyone else. And everyone's like, what's your problem? Nothing. You know, and the reason is because things weren't right between you and that person. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Righteousness, the word righteousness, it means to be right with God, to have a right relationship with God. You know, to where you and God are okay. The way that you think about him and the way that you think that he thinks about you, all copacetic. It's all good. It says, you know what, that's what righteousness is. And he says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for that kind of a relationship with God. For they will be satisfied. They will be satisfied. The next one, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There again, he's not saying, give mercy and you will get it. That's not what he's saying. What he's really saying, actually, the cycle is this. God gives us mercy. We extend mercy to other people. And God gives us more mercy. So the initiator in the first place is God. God is the one, you know, initiating over and over. He, he gives mercy to us. He shows us mercy over and over. What is mercy? It's really what it is. It's sympathy and compassion towards other people in need. Sympathy and compassion towards other people. And now you look and you think, well, what, how does that play its way out? Well, it can play its way out in a lot of different ways. Like sometimes people say, well, so to be merciful, is that like to be forgiving? Yeah, that's part of it. If that's what a person needs, then yeah. But it's, it's bigger than just forgiveness. It's really having a sense of, of, of sympathy and empathy and, and, and compassion, looking to meet needs of people that are hurting. That's what he's talking. He says, blessed are those. Well, what motivates that? You know the main thing that motivates that? Going back to number one, when you came to the end of the rope, you realized there was a point in your life where you really needed mercy. And God was really merciful to you. And as a result of that, you turn around and act merciful with other people. And then God acts more merciful to you. And it just keeps going like that. Blessed are the merciful. Why? They will receive mercy. Then the next one he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is where you find yourself when you finally, you know, you kind of get tired of just the outward obedience. And you really decide, I need to walk with God from the heart. Do any of you ever, you know, get tired of just appearance and just people thinking you're probably doing well or thinking you're probably good. You know, a lot of us, we spend our whole lives just sitting around, you know, trying to make people think a certain thing 
That's a very different thing than actually laying your head on the pillow at night and knowing that's who you are. And so what he's talking about here when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about people who have decided, you know what? I want to be the same on the inside that I'm portraying on the outside. I want to really allow God to call the shots in my life in all of these areas, not just in the outward things I say or the outward things I do, but I really want to do that from the heart. David picks up on that in like uh, Psalm 19:14. He says, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. He says, God, not only what I say, but my motivation and my thoughts behind those words, may those be acceptable in your sight. And so really choosing to have a pure heart. What he says there, he says, you know, those folks will see God. Those folks will see God. They will get a clear understanding of who the Father is and what he's like. Now, you don't want to fool yourself in that regard. Sometimes we think, okay, so then um, if, if God would just, you know, really reveal things to me more clearly, then I would really be following him. In fact, one year I got this card um, from this group uh, in another state, and they sent me this little thing you can put up on your refrigerator. It has a little magnet on the back, and on the front of it had this little saying that said, Lord, let me see you more clearly that I may follow you more fully. And I put that up there, but when I put it up there, I just remember thinking, hmm, I don't, something's wrong with that. And I said that to my wife, and she said, you mean it's like crooked? No, I don't mean it's crooked. You know, I mean, there's just something wrong with that. I don't know what it is. And so she's like, oh. And I kept thinking about that. I just kept rolling it over in my mind thinking, what, what, is, the, what is it that bugs me about that? And I, and I couldn't figure it out until about a week or two later, I'm over there. And I was reading in John, in John 14, 21, and Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will show myself to him. And I thought, oh, that's what the problem is. It's not, Lord, help me see you more clearly that I'll follow you more fully. It's, Lord, as I follow you more fully, you'll let me see you more clearly. It's backwards. And if we really want to see God and we really want to see, you know, who he is and what he's like and, and have that relationship with him where we see him face to face, the way you do that is you choose to follow exactly what he said. You choose to be the pure in heart. It's interesting, too, the verb that's used there just to bore you to tears. The verb that's used there when he's talking about seeing God, it's, a, it's one in the future continuous range. So what that really means is this. They will continuously be seeing God for themselves. They will continue. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will continuously be seeing God for themselves. And so, you know, that's one of the things we want to really figure out. Okay, you know, boy, God, as I little by little submit my life to you every single moment of every single day walking through life with you then eventually one of the things you're going to build in me is a pure heart and as you build a pure heart in me I'm going to actually get to see you and you're like wow 
pretty good. Then the next to the last one, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You know, the further you walk down this path of just walking with God and allowing him to be the boss of your life and allowing him to really call the shots in your life, one of the things that begins to happen is more and more you begin to look like him in attitudes, in actions, in, in uh, activities, things you're about. You begin to look like him. I remember when I read that this week, I remembered when I was young, I used to go with my father to the uh, barber shop. This was a ritual that he enjoyed. It was torture for me. He always thought, crew cuts, surely those are good. And I thought, nay, verily. Uh, but uh, we would go in. But we would go in and I would put up with this, you know, consistently. And, uh, but we would be in there and we'd kind of be sitting there chatting with the barber and stuff. And one time I'm there and the barber said, you are definitely your father's son. You look just like him. And I remember thinking, no, I didn't say anything. I said, oh, thanks. And, uh, but I sat there and thought to myself, isn't that interesting? Because what I knew that the barber didn't know was I was adopted by my father. I didn't, uh, he wasn't my biological father. And I thought, but we did have a lot of mannerisms that were very similar. Why? Because we'd been around each other a whole lot. And I thought, you know, what Jesus is wanting us to see there is, you know what? Your heavenly father who adopts you into his family, you can really resemble him as you just walk with him and do life with him every single day. You'll find yourself, people will begin to look at you and they'll say, oh man, it's obvious who your father is. Yeah, I can see the resemblance right there, you know, over and over. The last one, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, one of the things that Jesus said in Matthew 10, 24 and 25, he said, A servant is not above his master, nor a pupil above his teacher. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. What Jesus was saying is this. Hey, you know what, guys? How they treat me, they're going to treat you that way. So just be ready for that. You know, don't let that catch you by surprise. But here's the good news. By the time you reach that marker in the journey along the way, you're going to have walked with Jesus long enough, and you're going to have experienced enough of God's goodness and his kindness and his, his direction in your life, that you're going to be a lot like the Apostle Paul when he was talking about some of his afflictions. And he was talking about things like, well, I've been beaten 40 times. You know, I've been shipwrecked. I've been uh, in cold. I've been in the ocean overnight. I've done. And then he goes, but we consider these light and momentary afflictions to be of no consequence. And you're like, light and momentary? I mean, for us, we'd be like, can I write my life story? I was in the ocean overnight. You know, I mean, Paul says, eh, no big deal. You know, light and momentary afflictions, you know. What you find is this. When you walk with him 
and you allow him to really live life through you. You can even suffer all kinds of afflictions. You can suffer different things for him. And you're like, yeah, no big deal. Not really that big of a deal. So how do you practically experience this? You know, how do you more and more experience God's rule in you? You know, one of the things I, I'd encourage you to do, learn to just ask yourself a simple question. Uh, one of the questions I ask myself a lot of times as I'm walking along and I'm trying to decide, you know, on whatever course of action I'm thinking God may want me to take, I'll say, what should we do here? You know, you ask yourself that question. Ask God that question as you're going along. What should we do? What should we do? Because there are two of you involved in this process. There is him who is the ruler. There is you who is walking under his rule. What should we do here? Let me give you three ways you can begin to kind of figure that out so you can figure out how do you practically do that. One, get time in his word. Begin to get time in his word. Learn to live in it. Learn to live under it. So much of what he wants to tell you as far as his will for your life, he's already given it to you. He's already written it down. In fact, what you'll find a lot of times is he's not going to repeat himself when he's already said it. So, you know, when he already has written it in his word, all you need to do is go in there and dig it out. Now, some of you are going, oh, but that sounds an awful lot like effort. Yeah, God's not opposed to effort. He's just opposed to earning. He's not opposed to effort. So you can go ahead and put forth some effort to get to know him and to get to learn how to live in and under him. So you can do that, you know, so begin to do that. If you don't know how to do that, if you're thinking, you know, I don't even know how to get started on that. Well, good night. Just find somebody a few steps ahead of you and ask them how they do it. And if they don't know, ask somebody else. But, you know, begin to do that, and then you can begin to learn to walk with him. Second thing, community. Community. As you begin to live in community and you really begin to live honestly and openly, you can get tremendous help in learning to live a yielded life to God. Because there, what God does is he brings along people that can speak into your life, and he brings along people that you can speak into their life, and each one of you can sharpen the other one as you go along. So what you need to do, though, is you need, in the first place, to choose community, to choose to live in it, and then you need to choose to be open and honest in the process. And as you do, God will reveal more and more and more to you. This is what we should do right here in this given situation. But lastly, the last thing on this, stay in step with the Spirit. What Paul tells us in Galatians 5.25, stay in step with the Spirit. You know, the lifestyle of living in the kingdom with God is not decided on like these big days. Like you're not going to make one big decision and man, that's just going to, that'll do you. But it's a whole lot of little decisions in the small days over and over and over and over and over. And so what you want to do is you want to really pay attention to what God wants in those days. There's a couple of warnings the scripture gives us in regards to staying in step with the Spirit. One of the things it says is don't grieve the Spirit of God. It says don't grieve the Spirit of God in, in Ephesians 4.30. And really the way you do that is when, when you begin to hurt his people, or you began to hurt his purposes, 
that he's about, you grieve the Spirit of God. So he says, don't do that. Why? Well, it's going to be really hard for you to hear him and stay in step with him if you're grieving him. Or he also says over in First Thess 5.19, he says, you know, do not quench the Spirit. And by that, he's talking about there just resisting his work in your life. You know, like he, you say, hey, what do you think we should do here? He says, you ought to do this. And you go, what's the second thing you think we should do here if we don't do that? You know, no, I still think you should do that. Are there other options? I don't want to do that. You know, I mean, see, that's just, you know, not staying in step. So learn to do that. The happiest people you're going to find in the world are those who yield themselves to the Spirit of God being in control in their life every single day. Why? For several reasons. One, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're the ones who are comforted. They're the ones who inherit the earth. They're the ones who are filled. They're the ones who obtain mercy. They're the ones who see God. In fact, they're the ones who others notice God in their lives, and those are the ones who are called the children of God. So if you're thinking in your life, man, you know what I really want? I really want to be happy. What you do is begin to walk in the kingdom. Begin to walk in God's rule and reign in your life. Let me pray, and we'll uh, invite the band back up. Father, thanks. Thanks that um, you've clearly shown us if we want to experience life and uh life abundantly, if we want to experience everything that you made us and designed us for, then, Lord, the only way we're going to do that is to really live life in your kingdom, live life with you in control and uh, with us choosing to voluntarily stay in step with you. So, Father, help us to, to learn to do that. Help us to embrace that because, Father, as we do, so many of the things that we would long to be true about our lives, we don't have to focus on those. We just focus on daily walking with you, and you develop those things within our lives, those very characteristics that make us the happiest people around. So, Father, would you do that? Would you continue to, uh, to open up our eyes to see that and help us to really uh, follow through with that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.